Well, as you know by now, most likely, we have been taking a journey this calendar year, right? In 2023, we've taken a journey through the biblical narrative. And we have found ourselves in the, the uh, um, we started in January in Genesis. We've made it into David's life. And we're in the back part of, it, part of his life now. We're at the part of his life where he is... Um, He's older, his kids have grown and gone. We are, are growing, some of them are still young, so most of them are adults. We've seen, uh, we see in the record that David has 21 sons that are mentioned, 19 with names and two that died in infancy and were not unnamed in the story, but 21 sons that we know of. And we had many daughters, it doesn't say a number, only gives one name in a story that we'll see today. Um, but that's just how things went sometimes in those ancient records with girls and guys that the guys got mentioned. And so we know he had a lot of sons. But he had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines, and that's just how it was. And we won't go through all of them. There's a handful, probably five of David's children are even important into the narrative. We're going to see a few of them today, and then one of them when we finish up David shortly in a couple weeks here. But... um. Here's the deal. Today's story involves some of David's kids, and um, I want you to understand. Let's begin with 2 Samuel 13. We're going to spend the entire morning in this one chapter. It's a lot going on here. 2 Samuel 13 and verse 1 says, Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. So I'm just going to take a moment here and talk about this whole thing. First of all, most of David's children, most of David's children are not um, full siblings, they're half siblings, right? Because they had different moms. All of David's children were half siblings, uh, many of them, same dad, David, same dad, different mom. So they're half siblings. Now, in this part of the story, Absalom, he, is the, uh, he has a sister named Tamar, and they are full siblings. They have the same dad, David, and the same mom. Their mom is actually a king's daughter. David married a king from, uh, a daughter who's a king of Geshur's daughter. Uh, that was very common in those days for alliance reasons and political reasons. And he married this woman named Maacah, the, the daughter of the king of Geshur, and she gave birth to Absalom who was David's third-born son, and he also gave birth to a, a daughter named Tamar. And so they're full siblings. Many of the other ones are half-siblings with a different mom, but David is the dad. Now, um, it says in the next part of this verse that Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Now, there's a lot to, to that part of the story. Let me just, first of all, Amnon is the oldest son of King David. He is the first-born son. He is the heir apparent to the throne as the oldest son of David. In fact, he's often referred to in those ancient uh, writings as Prince Amnon, the oldest of David's children, and again, the expected heir to the throne. And Amnon, half-brother to Absalom, half-brother to Tamar, he falls desperately in love with his half-sister Tamar, which is both illegal now and gross anytime, unless maybe you're from Kentucky. But I'm not judging. But anyhow, um, but no, we look at that and we're like, what in the world is that? So um, he, he loves her, he thinks, and he falls in love with her. It says in verse 2 that Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. Have you ever wanted something so bad in your life that you literally got physically sick, you lost sleep, you couldn't think of anything else because you wanted it so bad it consumed you. Maybe it was a possession or a position. 
an opportunity, a, a, a relationship, a, a toy when you're young. I have a story like that, by the way. When I was a child, um, I, I, for during my, some of my years as a child in a middle schooler and a little beyond, I collected G.I. Joe action figures. The three and a half inch plastic action figures with all their gear and their battle stands and weapons and armament. And I mean, I love G.I. Joe. I had, the, I had their, their vehicles. I had the F-14 Tomcat with retractable wings and the helicopter. And I had the fort. And uh, I, the bad guys were Cobra. I had a whole lot of Cobra action figures as well. And I had set up my battle scenes inside, outside, wherever I could play. But there was one action figure on the Cobra side, the bad guy side, that I couldn't find in the stores around me. I always looked at, at the store for the, what I didn't have. I had dozens and dozens and dozens of them. But there's one action figure I could never get. And my friend, who also collected G.I. Joe action figures, he got this one. Oh, I was so jealous. And so I, I remember he came over and I was just, I wanted to hold on to it. And so he said, hey, you've got a couple action figures I don't have. How about we trade for a couple days? So we did. I took that one that he had that I wanted so bad and I set up my battle scenes for those days. And at night I would put it under my pillow. I'd lay in bed as I slept and I would stare at it and think, man, my collection would be complete. And my life would have so much more meaning if I had this one action figure. I mean, I had dozens, but they didn't matter, you know, because this one I didn't have was all I wanted. And I thought about it and lost sleep over it. Well, guess what happened? Within a few weeks, I got it. I managed to find it and get it for myself. And after I had it, I was excited for a little while. But then after I had it for a little while, once I got it, I got over it. Right? You know what I'm talking about. Once I got it, it became one of my many. It became one of all my action figures. And it just became another one. I had another one I wanted at some point later. Because once I got it, I just got over it. And, and that's how we are. Have you ever wanted something so bad in your life that you lost sleep and were ill and you couldn't stand all I just had this one achievement or this one opportunity or this one thing. Have you ever gotten something like that and then sometime later realized that you weren't as excited about it? You've taken it for granted or it's just you moved on? Interesting. Well, anyhow, Amnon wants this, his half-sister so bad because he's in love with this beautiful girl that he's become physically ill over her. And it says in the rest of the verse that she was a virgin and Amnon thought he could never have her. Now, I, I, that's an awkward statement, but I, I want to use this opportunity to remind you of something that I have reminded us over the course of this whole series so far. And if, if you haven't heard me say it before, I'll say it now. Um, women just did not have the, the, the rights and the, the, they were treated differently. They're treated like property. Historically, women have always struggled to, in, in, in society. I mean, I know we've come a long ways today. Like 100 years ago in our country, you know, women, you couldn't vote 100 years ago, right? Until, until the 19-teens, which is sad. And even today, there's still glass ceilings to be broken and there's you know, pay scales to work out. There's still issues of equality today. But we live in a charmed part of the world compared to other places where in the world today, women are still treated like commodities. They can only show their eyes and behave and, and are treated like property. And that's how the ancient world was everywhere. And we've seen it throughout the ancient stories of Israel and the world in general. And so apparently it's important to notice that she's a virgin because for a woman, that was her whole lot in life. She was going to own property, have rights, be a leader. But if she could find a man who could take care of her, she could have a future and have children. But he only wanted a girl who was a virgin. And if he was wealthy, he'd pay a dowry to her parents to get her as long as she's been with nobody else because he wouldn't want her to be, have been with anyone else but him. Now, of course, he could be with other women. He could have multiple wives if he has the money. That's okay. But she needs to only be for him. So it's just the way the world was, and it's not good. 
but it's, uh, it's an observation that we should notice. And so this girl, she's probably young enough. She's not a child, but she's a young adult. And her, she's not married. She probably has, had opportunities coming up. But Amnon wanted her for himself, but knew he couldn't have her because of who they were. And that should be the end of the story. We should all be marching on because Amnon moves on with his life, figures out what he can do, finds another love, and carries on with his life like nothing ever happened. The end. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. It may have gone that way, except for the next few words in verse number three. says, but Amnon had a friend. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that statement right there has proven to, I've seen this proven out to be a, a, a statement of someone's whole, a, a whole portion of their lives. Like, like how many people, they're, the hardest things they've ever gone through or experienced, the, the worst things they've ever done, the biggest regrets they've ever had, could, that, that, that part of their story could begin with the words, but they had a friend. A friend who talked them into doing something with them. Come on, you try it with me. I don't want to do this alone. Or a friend who said, oh, you want to do that? Yeah, you should do that. Or a friend who just influenced their thinking. How many of our stories, how many of your stories and my stories could, could have been better written or some regrets could have been undone if we didn't have the words in there, but they had a friend. Not a good friend, a friend. And I've heard this idea throughout my lifetime and I always believed it to be a true idea, but the older I get, the more impactful it is. Because I've seen so much in the years I've done what I do. In fact, it reminds me of a verse that that. King Solomon, David's other son Solomon, who would be the next king of Israel, would write about this very idea in Proverbs 13, 20, when he says, walk with the wise and become wise. In other words, you hang around wise people, you're influenced by wise people, it's going to rub off. But on the other hand, associate with fools and get in trouble. Right? We know that's how it goes. Like, I, I remember... Being a high school student, when I first saw this play out, besides just hearing it taught to me, I had a friend uh, in our community, a boy, a guy I knew. You know, we were all everyone was friends, and his name was his name was oh, I don't say his name it doesn't matter, but he was a friend of mine. But he didn't have a lot of friends, and then he fell into a rough group, a group of kids that I wasn't allowed to hang with, and I didn't want to hang out with because they were just rough, a rough bunch of guys. But he started hanging out with them because they accepted him. He just wanted to be accepted and have friends. And we kind of lost touch for a little bit. And then we you know, would check in every once in a while when we'd still cross paths. And I'll never forget the time he called me because he got in big trouble because he was with these guys. And they went somewhere that they should not have gone and did something they should not have done. And it was serious. And I don't have time to get into the story. But, but he was just with them. He, it wasn't his idea. He didn't really participate. He was just with them when they went somewhere they shouldn't have gone and did something they shouldn't have done. And they all got in trouble, including him. It impacted his high school. It impacted his young adulthood. And it left a, a mark. And I just was a young person. And, and this principle began to sink into my head of how important it is. Because here's the thing. You know, I had to realize I might not ever drive my car off a cliff because I'm not crazy. But if my friend drives their car off a cliff and I'm in the passenger seat, guess where I'm going? You know what I'm saying? Like at some point, the people we're in vicinity and relationship with, that, that impacts us. In fact, there's a statement that we've taught through the years to our young people at Lighthouse. Uh, it used to be one of our key seven principles of, in the youth group that, in the past. It was a principle that I've shared often I want to share with you now. It goes like this. Your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. 
I mean, it's just, it's just what happens that the people we hang around, they, they have an impact because we get around them. This isn't even true on a bigger scale with social media and influence today as well. But the people we follow or the people we hang around with, they influence us. They influence our worldview. They influence our, our, uh, how we view issues and how we view things and how things should be, shouldn't be. They influence what we think is right and wrong. They influence what we desire and what we want to do, what we don't want to do. It, it just rubs off and our friends influence and they determine the direction and quality of our lives in a good way or a negative way. And you just can't dismiss. I remember being in college and I had a couple of friends that I'm 200 miles from home. I'm a young man. Met two guy, I met a guy there and knew a guy already. They had the same first name, but they were very different people. And when I hung around the one person, we were always kind of getting away from the, from the call. I'm, I'm training to be a, a pastor. I get around them and, and they always wanted to break the rules I mean, just not like do bad, bad stuff, but just pull me a different direction away from my calling. Just pull different desires out of my, out of my life for my future. And this other friend of mine, when I was with him, I always wanted to pray more and praise God more and serve God more. And it hit me one day as a young man that as I walk through life, I can't help but be influenced by the people I spend time with. They're going to bring something out of me. They're going to they're pull me in some direction of saying, yeah, I want more of that or less of that. And it hit me, what I've been taught, what I'm talking about today, that I have to be careful, that I should be friendly to everyone and, and serve people and, and connect to people and work with people and do all sorts of things, but who I let in my close area of influence and circle. And now we have social media, and who we let influence you through that and who you let influence you in your daily life will impact your life because our friends help determine the direction and quality of our life. And unfortunately, in today's story, we find that Amnon had a friend, but it wasn't a very good friend. In fact, let's continue the story together. It says, but Amnon had a very crafty friend. It was his cousin, Jonadab. I want you to remember that name, Jonadab. And he was the son of David's brother, Shimea. So Amnon's cousin slash friend, Jonadab, sees him. And one day, Jonadab says to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of the king, especially the oldest son of the king, look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And so at this point, Jonadab, being a good friend, should have said, well, get over it. Like, you know, knock it off. Like You know that, that meme, if you, like, if you like memes, you know that meme that picture of, of Batman slapping Robin that has little captions above it. I love that one, you know. It should have been like, it should have been that caption right there. Like it should have been Amnon saying, I'm in love with my, my half-sister. And, and Jonathan should have been like, knock it off, you know. <laughs> and it should have been the end of the story. But it wasn't because, because he wasn't a good friend. So here's what happens. Verse 5, well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend that you are ill. And when your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him that you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. And I know that when you read that, it seems a little odd in, in how it's said, especially because you know the end of the story, maybe you do. But, but the thing is, is this is, you just play innocent. You know, she's your sister, and, you know, she's known for her cooking, apparently, and, and dad's going to care about how you're doing. So he does. So Amnon goes back to bed, and, and he, he lays there like he's, he's terrible shape. Word gets to the king that your oldest son is sick. Dad comes to visit him. He's like, oh, I'll be okay. I'm just really, I just, I, 
Well, what can I do for you? Dad, just go back and run the kingdom. You're too busy. I'll be okay. You know what you could do? Send my sister, Tamar. She does a great, cooks a great meal. And if she could just visit me, it'd be family, it'd be company. And, and, and I, maybe that would help me feel better. So dad agrees to send Tamar. And, and he goes back to the palace and Tamar comes and maybe she feels honored to cook a meal. Her brother cares about her and respects her. And, and she probably wants to be nursing and, and, and compassionate to a man who's bedridden and so ill he can't move. So she's there cooking a meal, and at some point Amnon, on the advice of his friend, has her there, and he tells all of his servants, he says to his servants, guys, I just don't feel well. I don't, just, get, just leave. I don't need you here. I just need to rest. I'll be okay. I, I'm here. My sister's here. I'm okay. We're okay. Just, just leave, us, leave me alone. And everyone leaves at Amnon's request. And she comes in with the food, and she begins to help him in bed as she's feeding him. Verse 11 says, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. I just threw up in my mouth reading that a little bit. Um, he's like, come to me. And all of a sudden she realizes that he is not so sick and weak and anemic. He's, he was faking it. He's grabbed her and he's stronger than her and she's in trouble. And here's what she says. She says, no, my brother, she cried. Don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. That's not, it's against the law, actually, the law of Moses, which is another story. She said, um, she, and she, watch what she says next. She makes a passionate plea to reason with him. She says, where could I go in my shame? In other words, besides the fact that, you know, I would be devastated by it because it's a, I'd, be, I'd be victimized. In the culture I live in, it's going to follow me around. Where could I go? If, if you care about me, don't do this to me. And if you don't care about me, care about yourself. She says that you, you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. So if you don't care about me enough to do what's best for me, do what's best for you because you're going to wreck your life and my life if you do this to me. And then she continues and says, please just speak to the king about it. He'll, he'll let you marry me. Now here's the thing. There's no chance the king would have let him, her marry him and her marry her probably. But she's just trying to get out of the room. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, so let's, let's, let's visit this later the right way. And she's trying. But verse 14 says, but Amnon would not listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. It's terrible. It's a terrible story. Then, suddenly, Amnon's love turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. Now, now that's an interesting statement here. Um, and, and I just want to talk about it. Obviously, you're like, he loved her, then he hated her? Obviously not. But Amnon thought he loved her, and after he's done, he felt like he hated her. Probably because the fantasy didn't go the way he thought it should go, right? Like he had this idea in his head and his imaginations and his friend's advice that she would come in and, and, and reciprocate and it would be, but, but all of a sudden it was, it was not a good scene and he was, it was set with her reaction like she wasn't as interested in him as he was in her and she was, he was mad and so he went from loving her to hating her in this moment. But he didn't really love her. Come on, and we know this. All of us know this, right? We're smart people. He didn't really love her, did he? He lusted after her, but he didn't love her. Amnon didn't love Tamar. Amnon loved Amnon. Amnon loved himself. And so he did what was best for him regardless of what it did to her. And once he, once he got 
what he wanted. Well, once he got it, he got over it. Once he got her, he got over her. He was done. He says, you know, a second thought, get out of here. And I want to say this to you because it's such a big idea and I can't help but speak into our lives a little bit about this thought. As I read the story, it burns in me that I've seen this also over and over again in life. And this is for anybody of any age, but especially if you're a young person, especially if you're a young person, but really any age this works. But young people, and really stereotypically, especially girls, because of the way guys can be. But please listen to me. If someone tells you they love you, but won't respect you and your wishes and your beliefs or your boundaries, they really love you. Come on now. If they won't respect your values, your virtue, your, your um, beliefs, your, your, the boundaries in your life, and say, yeah, but I want this, I want this. I've heard it all my life from, from girls sometimes who are insecure, and they'll be like, oh, but, you know, he loves me, and if I don't let him, I might lose him, because they're insecure that they can never do any better. If, if there's a guy who wants something from you that he's pressuring you, you can do better. I know it's hard to believe when you don't have confidence. But they'll say, oh, he loves me, and I don't want to lose him. Well, first of all, if he loves you or if she loves you, if they love you, they will respect you. If they love you, they will wait for you. If they love you, they'll honor who you are and your beliefs and your boundaries. And if they won't respect or honor that, they only love you, and you're better off losing them, and you'll be okay. But unfortunately, we're afraid We're afraid that, and by the way, if you love someone, you respect them. Here's the problem. When you let someone push their desires on you that go past your comfort zones and your beliefs, and what's best for you, they talk you out of, they they talk down your beliefs and your boundaries to get what they want, because that's more important than what you feel. Here's the problem. You end up with someone like that a few years later, you'll always have to wonder, when's the next time that they're going to not care about how you feel and what's best for you because they want something? How can you ever trust that they're ever going to put you first when they want something different than you want going forward? Are you with me? Ultimately, you've got to decide, does this person really care? And Amnon didn't really love her. He didn't really care. He loved himself. And once he had what he wanted, he got over her, and he was done. And it happens so many times in culture, we can write a book about it. All the people. And I'm not saying, listen, this is a different story. Because here's the thing. I'm talking about being careful people who lie to you about caring about you. Tamar didn't have a choice. Let me make this clear. Tamar did nothing wrong in this story. She didn't have a choice. She was not a, a willing part of this. She was victimized and assaulted. And she had no say so. I point all that out to simply say he thought he felt one way, but obviously he didn't. Be careful people tell you and watch how they act. But in her case, she was just victimized and terribly, terribly mistreated. And so now he won't listen to her. And here's what she says. She says, no, no, Tamar cried. And this is so powerful. She says, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. Can I just, can I just make a point that I, I know that when I talk about how bad women had it in, in ancient culture, I know when I make that point that some of you are like, yeah, yeah, we get it, Arlen. Women didn't have a good place in society. And you dismiss that. Or maybe someone here is like, it's political, it's political to you, so you don't want to hear that. But can I just say, this is what I'm talking about. Think about what she just said. She just said to the man who victimized her, she just said, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me, huh? Can you fathom a world in which that would sound rational? 
But the world she lived in said that she was so damaged and used in the culture, how they viewed women, that to be sent away was worse in her mind than what he just did to her. Now, that's hard to comprehend, but that's just how it was. She says, the best thing for me is to be kept with him. Really? Who would want that? Terrible. But Amnon would not listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. Apparently the servants heard that yelling at least. And so the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom of, in those days for the king's virgin daughters. And just once again, to push that same button, it's like the virgin daughters had to wear something special to note in their wardrobe that they were virgin daughters. I mean, do I think the king's sons wore special outfits saying that they were virgin boys? I doubt it, but that's just how the rule was, right? So anyhow, um, she, she's wearing this outfit, and it says that, but now Tamar tore her robe, and she put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away, crying. She was devastated by what was done to her. Well, her brother Absalom saw her, and he asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. And so Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Now, if anything that Absalom just said to her seems dismissive and glib, don't misread that. Absalom is absolutely furious about what happened to his sister. Furious, as we're going to find out. But he's trying to calm her down because she is understandably very upset and hysterical about it. He's like, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We'll figure that out later. Just, it's okay. Just come with me. And, and, but here's the problem. She never gets over it. She lives her life desolate in his house, just living in his house, which means either culture didn't let her get past it or she just emotionally couldn't get past what was done to her. It just, it just haunted her and broke her. And she spends the rest of her life just never figuring out how to pick up her pieces and move forward after this terrible action. She stays in her brother's house. And when King David heard what had happened, he was very angry, as he would be, because it involved two of his children. On the one side, he had a child who was victimized and mistreated, and that makes you angry. But on the other hand, he had a child who did the wrong. And boy, it's a tough thing as a parent, right? When your child is, is mistreated by somebody, you're mad about how they were treated. But you can at least look at them and say, you did nothing wrong. But David was also angry about Amnon because Amnon was his, his son, the firstborn son, that's supposed to be the heir, Prince Amnon. And he's mad at him because he, he can't look at him and say, you did nothing wrong. It's got to be so hard for a parent. Uh, it's as hard as it is to help your child when they're mistreated. How do you go forward as a parent when your child did the mistreating? You ever think, no one thinks about how hard of a role that is for a mom or a dad to carry. Like you think about these kids, you hear stories like school shootings and stuff, as terrible as they are. And everyone thinks about all the victims and they should and the poor people and the people who lost a child. But everything about the, the parents, the dad or the mom of the shooter. What that does to them. Because they can't sit there and say, you know, I mean, what do, they, what, do they, what do they do? Many times they're blamed on some level for it. And if they don't, no one else blames them, they blame themselves, right? They got to carry this pain of saying, my child who I love and care for did something unthinkable. And David is looking at Amnon saying, you're my son and I love you, but I am so hacked off at you right now. The problem is he didn't do anything about it. He didn't do anything about it. 
It says in verse 22, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. So they never have a confrontation about it. They never have a conversation. They keep their distance, but Absalom hates him. And Absalom waits for the king to do what the king should do and, and have justice prevail. Do something about what Amnon did. He's waiting and the, Bible, the next verse, verse 23, says two years later. Think about this. Two years later, nothing has changed. Two years, Absalom sits back and watches as Amnon carries on with his life like nothing ever happened, living his life in Jerusalem. Two long years later, with Absalom seeing his sister in his house day upon day, pining away and struggling to get her feet back under her and her life back together, and she can't seem to get past it. And days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, and she's struggling, and Amnon's living his normal life. And two years later, Absalom waits for justice, and nothing happens. And two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Belhazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast, because it was very normal. We saw this with Ruth and Boaz's story. We saw it with Abigail and Nabal's story, that when you harvested your crops or your livestock on some level and had a payout, you would usually throw a celebration and a party and also give charitably to other causes. And so Absalom is at a time of, of prosperity, so he throws a party, and he wants all the king's sons to come to the party. He actually goes to the king and says, hey, would you come to my party? And David says, no, I can't. That's going to be too much for you with my entourage. But you go ahead, and, and though he begs, David just gives him his blessing, and all the king's sons go away from Jerusalem to a party at Belhazor. And they sit down and they feast. And the, the scripture says that he threw a feast that was fit for a king. And they're hanging out and they're catching up with their, each other as brothers or half-brothers. And they're partying and they're drinking and they're eating. And it says this in verse number 28, that Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. And then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who's given the command. You take courage and do it. In other words, he says, look, you won't be in trouble for killing someone. You won't be in trouble for killing the king's son, his oldest son, because it's my order. Don't be afraid. Take courage and kill him when I say so. Sure enough, it says in verse 29, so at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. And then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled and can you imagine why they jumped on their mules and fled? I mean, they're probably a little bit inebriated already. But they're thinking to themselves, I just watched my brother get killed in front of me. And they're probably also thinking, am I next? Because if you understand something about ancient cultures and kingdoms, possibly still this way in many political conspiracies today, but in the ancient world, there's Bible stories that tell us stories like this where someone would kill all of their siblings to get rid of all the competition for the throne. And so maybe the other kids saw Amnon get killed and thought, oh my goodness. And then they thought, is it going to be all of us next? They're not going to wait around and find out. They jump on their mules and they take off for safety. It says that as they were on their way back to Jerusalem, the report reached David. The report said Absalom has killed all of the king's sons and not one is left alive. Now that's not what happened. That was not true. Perhaps the messenger who saw it from a distance and took off ahead of the group to tell the king assumed that all the other ones were getting killed too and didn't know any better. Or perhaps it's the typical gossip 
ring where someone says, Absalom killed the one and the rest thought were afraid they were going to get killed, which turns into Absalom killed the one and was about to kill the others, which turned into Absalom killed them all. I don't know. Somehow, by the time it gets to David, David hears that all of his sons have been butchered and are dead. No one is alive. And it says that the king got up, he tore his robe, he threw himself on the ground, understandably. He's, he's wrecked. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and in sorrow because they've watched these kids grow up as a part of the king. They've seen it now. They're all gone. It's a terrible day for David. It's a terrible day for Israel. Verse 32. But just then, Jonadab, remember Jonadab? Amnon's friend, but Amnon had a, a friend named Jonadab. But just then, Jonadab, son of David's brother, he arrived and said, oh, no, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Hey, Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. Wait, what? Time out. Jonadab, here's, here's Jonadab saying to David, hey, let me, let me be a hero here. Let me, let me encourage you, king. Good news. Your kids are all okay except for Amnon because Absalom's been planning to kill him for a long time. Well, didn't you think you should warn Amnon since he was, I don't know, your, your friend? That his brother was planning to kill him? Said, oh, but he had it coming, you know, because he raped his sister. Well, who gave him that idea? Oh, yeah, his friend, you. But, but now Jonadab, he's alive and well. Amnon's laying in a pool of blood somewhere. And, and, and here's Jonadab with the king saying, oh, no, 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 it's okay. It was just, this has been planned a long time. I knew about it. Because Amnon did something very, very wrong to his sister. Huh. He says, no, my lord, the king, your sons are not all dead. It was only Amnon. Boy, it's funny because I was reading this week some ancient writings from several thousand-year-old Jewish rabbinical writings. Just doing a little deeper research for today's message. And, and what I'm about to say to you, what I've been saying to you about friendships and Jonadab and stuff, this has been around for a long time. Like, I'm not saying anything new today. But what I'm saying today is, is something that I've also seen in, in 50 years of life and 25 years of pastoring. And, and so I want to impress it on you today. And, and Jonadab is a classic example of something that happens so often. So let me just say it this way. Listen, the ones who convince you to make a mess of your life won't be there to help you clean it up. If I've seen something through life, I've seen this over and over again. That the ones who are there to, to convince you to make a mess aren't the ones hanging around to help you clean it up. Look, it's just, here's what happens. We sit back there, and it's so easy to sit there and look at maybe, maybe your parents and say, oh, they're just old and they don't know, understand modern things and they have bad, silly ideas or funny duddies or they, they have wrong ideas. They, have, they see the world wrong and, or they see me or they don't understand me or they don't get it. Look at your teachers and your administrators and say they're just mean. Look at your coach or your people, people in your, in your church or your faith community and say, oh, they don't know, they don't get it. They're just, they're just judgmental. They just, they don't, they, they don't, they're whatever. It's easy to dismiss everybody. But I'm going to tell you something I've learned through the years. Not every time, but most of the time, those people that you dismiss when they're trying to tell you to live a different way than you're, you're wanting to go and wanting to live, when you end up in a mess that you make, when you make some decisions that, that, that bring some harm to your life, those people that we just talked about are the ones who are there. They're the ones who are there helping you pick it up. 
there any kind of decent parent that are there, there any kind of decent, those administrators, those teachers, those coaches, those people in church, they're the ones, they're not saying, I told you so, they're not rubbing your nose, they're just there weeping with you and saying, let's go forward, let's go forward. Because they loved you all along. And it's easy to dismiss them when they seem in the way because they don't know what you want and they don't get you and they're just wrong. But they're the ones who are there for you when you're in a pickle. But those people who come along inside of you and say, oh yeah, don't listen to all of them. I understand you. I get you. I'm your friend. Hey, follow your heart. But I'm going to tell you something. Follow your heart. Mm. Those words have caused more, wrecked more marriages and destroyed more homes and hurt more families and have caused more addictions and all sorts of things. Follow your heart is some terrible words because it's a nice concept to follow your heart if it really means follow your heart. But usually what people are saying is do what you want to do. They're not saying your heart wants to end up in a good place, so look, take a long look and make wise decisions. What they're saying is this is what you want right now. This is what you desire right now. Do it. Follow your heart. And by the people who are coming along saying, ignore those voices, ignore those people who are cautioning you. They don't get it. They're not as enlightened as you. They don't see it like you do. Do your thing. I've just been around long enough to know that they're the same ones that once you wreck yourself, they step back and say, oh, tsk, tsk, tsk. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have gone that far. Well, at least I wouldn't have had those kind of consequences at least. Or I don't know. They disappear. It's so sad how many times in life people have to figure out much too late, who really does care about them and who just was their friend when they wanted to and say, hey, do this with me, indulge in this with me or do what you think is best. I'm gonna encourage your behavior. Who, who influences our worldviews until it's too late. And then we find out afterwards who was there for us all along. The ones who convince you to make a mess of your life are very, almost never the ones around to help you clean it up. And that's just my Decades of experience, and that's apparently 3,000 years of rabbinical literature backing up the same narrative. And most of you can say, I know it's true. I've lived it. I've been there. Well, anyhow, the king's children finally arrive. They come back to the city. The people say, hey, the king, there's a party coming down the road, and they run out to meet the kids. They're crying and slobbering because they, they were Almost, they thought they were going to die, and now that they're home safe, they're just letting the trauma set in. Their brother was killed in front of their eyes. They're all shook up. The king is crying. Everyone's crying. Safe and sound in Jerusalem. And verse 37 says, And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Amnon's dead, but David mourns for him. And I can only imagine what David's feeling, because as long as, you know, experience has taught me one thing, is that when we're going through grief, we're going through grief that comes from loss, grief that comes from tragedy. Something happens along the way. While our grief is hard enough to bear, something comes along and once wants to throw a big old heap of guilt on top of our grief. Maybe it's the devil. Maybe it's, our, maybe it's other people. Maybe it's ourself. Maybe it, well, you, somewhere, grief that's hard enough to carry comes up with an unnecessary and worthless pile of guilt that does nothing to help us go forward and only makes it worse. We've got to learn to toss it off our shoulders. But I wonder how much David carried grief mixed with guilt. Like, did he ever think to himself, I, I should have been a better dad. Maybe I should have taught him or raised him better. He wouldn't be dead today. Wouldn't have done the things he did. Or maybe he thought to himself, I should have stepped in after he messed up and, and corrected his behavior before I let it go and someone else took care of it for me. Or perhaps he thought, who am I to talk after what I just did with Bathsheba last week? Maybe I have no right to speak into his life. I'm a hypocrite because I have my own failures. I don't know what made David feel bad, but I'm sure that his grief was compounded with unnecessary heartache. And he mourned for him for many days. Meanwhile, it says that Absalom, he fled 
to his grandfather, tell my son of Amidad, uh, the, the king of Geshur. In other words, uh, Absalom leaves the country to go, remember his, his mom was the daughter of a king that David married? He goes to his grandfather's kingdom. And Absalom puts himself in self-appointed exile. Now, does that sound familiar? Who else do we know was in exile? His dad was, David, right? Remember David was a fugitive and went to exile? But that was because the king, Saul, the king was trying to kill David, and David was trying to survive. Absalom is, is in exile because he's afraid the current king, his father, might kill him for what he did to his brother. So he's in a self-imposed banishment, a self-imposed exile. He lives there. And it says this in the next verse, that, that he stayed there in Geshur for three years. Think about that. Three years of staying there. Can you imagine the thoughts that started running through his head and, and started affecting his heart? Can you imagine Absalom in, in a foreign country, banished away, thinking to himself, it's not fair. It's not just. My brother often rapes my sister and he, he should have been punished and he gets to live scot-free for two years. No one did a single thing about it. But I go and, commit, I, I go and execute judgment against him. I do justice and I'm in exile. I'm banished. Now, maybe David wouldn't have killed him, but Absalom didn't know what would have happened if he would have stayed. And the fact that David didn't send word to say, come home, it's okay, reinforces the idea to Absalom that apparently my brother could do it and live just fine his everyday life, but I do the right thing about it, in my mind, the right thing, and I'm stuck away as a banished son. It's not fair. Why should I go through this for what I did when Amnon got away with what he did? The days turn into weeks, turn into years, turn into the months, turn into years. Three long years. And the bitterness has got to be setting in. Here's the crazy part. It says, verse 39, And King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death. In other words, he came to peace. Like, well, I'm, I'm heartbroken, but I guess, you know, you know, I understand what happened. Now reconciled to Amnon's death, he longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Dad didn't want to kill Absalom. He wanted to be together with him again. He had a good heart towards him. He understood him. But here's the problem, and this is such a big deal. He never told him. How many times in life have I seen this where people have a, have a heart to, there's a bad situation, there's a wedge there, and someone has a, a heart of amending, but they don't speak up. How many parents have never said the words to that child that, that they, they, they left them wondering how they felt, or a person said, never says the worst of their friends that they need to hear, and they leave things unsaid so that people assume the worst is true because no one says, maybe out of pride or maybe out of whatever, we never speak the truth. And David, though he longs to be with Absalom, he never tells it to Absalom. So while he's missing his son, Absalom's over there thinking, Dad doesn't even care about me because my brother could do what he did and be fine in the city, and I'm far from home. And he, he didn't know what dad was thinking, because it was never said. And it drives a wedge and a chasm so deep and so wide that it leads us to what happens next in next week's story. In fact, today's story, honestly, was largely a bridge story. It's a pretty interesting story for sure, but it's a bridge story because what happens next is so epic. It's so epic. It impacts not just David, it impacts the entire nation of Israel. It's a huge event, and it all comes off of the story we bridged with it today. So we're going to leave it there and come back to it next time. But for today, as I read that story, so many lessons pop into my head. And the things I shared with you, like the people who 
convince you to mess up your life won't be there to help you clean it up. And things I've said like, watch out for someone who says they love you, but don't respect your boundaries or your wishes or your beliefs and, because that's not love. And you'll never be able to trust them anyhow. Or the things I said earlier about, about not letting guilt pile on the grief. There's so many lessons today in today's story that we could point out. Wanting something so bad until you get it and getting over it. But if I can leave one of those lessons with you as we move past this and into the next epic tale, I would say this. The one lesson I would come back to is what I said at the beginning. That your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. If I can convince you, you can't help it. And again, in the modern day, we even have you know, social media. We have so many people that influence us uh, online or in person that we, just, that we get into their zone and we just, they, they, they're with us and, and, and they, we cre- they create our own echo chambers, our own silos, our own tribes where it influences how we see things, how we see the world, what we think is okay, what's not okay, what we do. They may encourage us to, to indulge in a behavior with them or to do what we want to do, whether we should or not. It, it, it puts desires, it stirs up desires one direction or another in us. Our friends influence the direction and the quality of our life. So here's my point. Be good to everyone. Be friendly to everyone. Connect with people. Serve people. Be, nobody. But be careful who you let in that tight, intimate circle of your life. Be careful who you let... Be, watch yourself like I told my story when I was earlier of who you find out that being around them is influencing you. It's bringing out what, what desires. When you're around certain people, what, what do you want to do more of or less of because you're in their orbit? They influence it, impact your life. And Amnon had a bad friend, a very bad friend who was around when he was dead acting all high and mighty about it. But this is not just a negative principle. This is a positive principle. Here's the good news. You walk with the wise and become wise. You get good friends and they'll impact you in a good, good way. Find the people that when you're around them, they want to make you a better husband, a better dad, a better mom, a better wife, a better son, a better daughter, a better friend, a better neighbor, a better worker, a, a more ambitious person uh, in the right ways with integrity who wants to, to try that thing, to shoot for the moon, to make a difference. Find the people who stir the best out of you because here's the thing. Those kind of people are the people worth having around you because they will influence and determine in the most positive way the direction and quality of your life. And oh, that we would all have friends like that.